Welcome. Hi. I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hello everyone, I uh, hope you're having a good week and thanks for tuning in this week to my podcast, Wikipedia. So today I am talking to Dr. Phil Maffetone and Professor Paul Lawson, probably two people that don't really need a lot of introduction. Um, I've included their bios, their full bios in the show notes for today's show. Now today we're talking about their paper on COVID-19 and metabolic health which was published in I think April this year actually and I'll include that in the show notes as well and this conversation took place in September of this year late September as Auckland was coming out of about a 2.5 lockdown or going into 2.5 lockdown so for those of you who haven't heard of of these two guys um, I'll give you a little bit of a background and you know, Dr. Phil Maffetone, he is one of the most sought after practitioners for health and performance. And he's worked with world-class athletes like Mark Allen, who's a six-time Hawaii Ironman champion. Um, he's worked with entrepreneurs, musicians, and producers such as Rick Rubin, helping them optimize their um, health and their performance. And during his two decades in private practice, uh, Dr. Maffetone's been, he's just a respected pioneer in the field of complementary medicine and he brings the latest advances to healthcare professionals around the world. And he's a internationally recognised researcher, educator, clinician and author and you'll see publications from Phil both in the academic literature but he's got this amazing resource on philmaffetone.com where he has a lot of free information in and around health and well-being and he is the creator of the MAF method which stands for maximum aerobic function and that combines exercise nutrition and stress to build the aerobic system the fat burning engine responsible for fueling all of your body's needs and anyone that's in the LCHF space Dr. Phil Maffetone is one of the originals and he's also a musician actually. My other guest today who I'm really honoured to speak to is Professor Paul Lawson. So Paul is an author, endurance coach, high performance consultant and entrepreneur. Paul is also the co-founder of Hit Science which is high intensity interval training and it's a powerful but often misused tool and he is one of over 20 sports scientists and experts that have come together to deliver the decades of research and real life experience in a textbook in an online course and we talk about that course within today's interview Paul is also the former lead of physiology for the New Zealand Olympic athletes um, in High Performance Sport New Zealand and he's adjunct professor of exercise physiology at Auckland University of Technology and he now resides back in his home country in Canada as you'll hear us talk about. He's a world-renowned specialist in high-intensity interval training, low-carbohydrate diets, ketosis, heart rate variability, 
uh, and more. And Paul really was one of the first kind of mentors, I suppose, for me in this low carbohydrate space. And he is very well published with over 135 scientific manuscripts. It's amazing. Um, he's also an amazing athlete, having completed 17 Ironman triathlons. Uh, and as a coach as well. So he puts all of his kind of learnings into helping his athletes perform at their best. While he's got a real athletic bent, uh, Paul is super passionate about, uh, passionate about health as well. So this conversation is all about metabolic health outcomes and COVID-19 as they, as they see it. And anything that we talk about in the interview, those notes will be linked in the show notes. So. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Phil Maffetone and Professor Paul Lawson. Morning team. It is great just to chat to you this morning. It's very early for me. It's like, well, I say very early, it's 5.30. I'd normally be up in my kind of doing my thing these days. But um, Paul, what time is it? It's not too bad for me, Mickey. Uh, good morning. It's still 10.30 on the west coast of British Columbia, Canada. <gasps> nice. That's where you are these days. And Phil, how about you? Well, it's afternoon uh, here in Vermont, USA, uh, 1.36 p.m. Nice. In fact, I was going to ask where you are, Phil, because I often I see um, you're popping up on my social media feed with your articles and the podcasts that you're doing um, in and around the topic that we're going to be talking about today. And I see like different locations for you, like Florida, as well as Vermont. So I actually wasn't sure. I'm, I'm were... all around. Uh, I've started traveling again and I will be traveling a lot more uh, shortly uh, as soon as I can navigate that whole thing. Um, and I, I sometimes write myself a note to remind myself where I am uh, on a given day, which, uh, which works well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, okay, so you're traveling. How is it traveling in the time of COVID, Phil? It's really strange. Um, very, very strange. It, it, it's, it's not bad because I keep away from people anyway. Uh, I keep away from crowds, I keep away from stores, except for the ridiculous hours where I know there's not a lot of people. And, but you know what, what you find yourself doing these days, because in the US, you go from state to state, and it, it's, it's not even like Europe anymore, where everything is somewhat similar. In the US, the states now have become real uh, obsessed about rules, and they change all the time. And so when uh, when my phone tells me, you know, welcome to such and such a state, I think, okay, uh, from what I remember, this is what you're supposed to do. And so if I get stopped because I had a Florida license plate, which is was a real issue for a while, um, you know, you, you have to come up with these stories uh, to avoid, um, I don't know, getting in trouble. It's mm -hmm. really, it's really... Uh, really scary in a sense. And is it quite different from state to state right now, Phil? And that was one thing I was actually going to ask both of you is what it's like where you're at. And I'll just, you know, in New Zealand right now, we are in our version of level 
five, I think. And oh no, we're going to level two tonight, actually, which just means that there are restrictions on the number of people that can go into restaurants. Um, and we, uh, we have to wear a face mask when we're on a bus or on any public transport. Um, and, and those are the main restrictions. Obviously, we've got, you know, border control restrictions, but the rest of the country are in level one, which essentially means no restrictions, but they are, uh, they are um, encouraged to wear a mask. Um, and it's really difficult to keep up with the rest of the world, to be honest, as to kind of where they're at and what restrictions are kind of in place. Um, Paul, what's it like in British Columbia? Well, I'm in Revelstoke, BC, and we're in a little bit of a bubble that's kind of like, like New Zealand in a way where it's mm. you know, a lot of big spaces. Um, you know, when, when we go into the grocery store, there's maybe, it, it really depends on the time that you go in there, whether people are going to be wearing masks or not. There's no real restrictions. I mean, my daughter's starting back in swimming again. So, nice. um, you know, there, there's, there's kind of these minor restrictions and stuff, but it's, it's more or less sort of, you know, back, back to normal a little bit with some people still wearing masks. Um, but, but yeah, I think we're, fairly progressive from that standpoint. And I mean, we're going to get to probably our different philosophies on where we should be with these things shortly. Mm. But yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, again, I'm in a bubble. I'm really fortunate. So I don't probably not experiencing the same things that Phil is. And it sounds like Mickey, you're, you're the same in New Zealand where things are, and it's not too, too different than what it was normal, except with yeah. maybe with the exception of international travel. That'd yeah. be right. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And um, and Phil, how about you for for Vermont right now? What are the are there major restrictions on you being there, or well, not you being there, but for the people in Vermont? Well, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, the thing about the Northeast U.S. is that everything is so close. You know, mm. Massachusetts, uh, New Hampshire, Connecticut, uh, where my daughter lives, New York State, even where my son lives. Um, they're, they're really just down the road. And so um, I, I don't really keep track uh, of, of what's going on because they change all the time. Mm. Um, I, I do have to be aware. I have a mask in my pocket. And if I'm going to a health food store um, and they only let me in with a mask, then I put it on. Other than that, I, I don't I don't use it and I don't go to a lot of places that, um, you know, like, uh, you know, most restaurants um, and, and places that, you know, are just unhealthy places. I, I avoid those anyway. So, mm. um, um, but you know, what's been happening um, for, for, uh, for a while now uh, here, at least my experience, and I, I've heard this from other people, is that it's not it's one thing when the store enforces um you know they say you have to wear a mask because that's our policy and they're a private company they can do anything they want but when when citizens say something to you on the street that you're not wearing a mask that's pretty offensive mm -hmm. it's pretty 
it, it's a frightening thing, you know. Um, I'm not going to tell you what it reminds me of. Um, uh, the, the social, you know, restrictions have gotten so, people have panicked so much that they're enforcing laws themselves um, or trying to. Um, and you know what, what can you say when you hear that? I, I try to pretend I don't hear it. Um, and uh, I haven't encountered anything more serious than that, but it's, it's frightening. Um, so I, I um, you know, I went to New York City, strangely enough, uh, um, recently, I, I, I finally got a, uh, a slot in a recording studio I've been trying to get into, but was closed because of COVID. So I've recorded a new album, but I had to get to New York City to do it. And that was a, um, a place where uh, I didn't see anybody on the street who didn't have a mask. Um, uh, and, and, you know, getting into the city and getting back out uh, two days later and staying overnight in the city was not an easy experience. Mm. It was, I was in New York in November last year, actually, because we did the, uh, the marathon and that was my second time there and it was a, you know, fantastic experience. And I, I just can't imagine what it might be like there right now and actually what it might've been like that three months ago in the height of kind of the pandemic, I suppose, in a city like New York, which thrives on people, on crowds, on busyness, and just, I can't imagine how that might be, like how that changes, but also how heightened some of that kind of energy might have been in a not particularly positive way because of that additional layer of fear that everyone is feeling, which compels people to make comments about you not wearing a mask, you know. In yeah, the, huge, uh, huge amount of stress in, mm. in the population and that that has been a big problem because of uh, these these personal things uh, you know the personalities that come out uh, from people and then also you know what that stress does to people which you, we may end up talking about in terms of immune function um, and and I mean we, we can go on and on talk about the social components of this um this problem uh you know re uh recently one of and i can't remember which politician um and i don't look at the news or listen to it but i have recently um been doing that because i i will write a COVID article um uh a general article which uh we, we will blast out so i want to look to see what the media is talking about, um, which is a painful thing sometimes. Mm -hmm. But um, somebody was talking about, a politician was talking about the civil liberties that uh, are, are, you know, the, 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 the effect on our civil liberties uh, during this COVID experience. And, and those, those um, the stress on our civil liberties ha has been has not been this bad for a long, long time in the in the, in the country's history. Mm. Um, and so, you know, this is a, this is an issue 
that other people are recognizing. Uh, you don't hear about it very much. I was surprised to see that headline. Mm. But, um, and, the, and of course, the, um, the dysfunction that you hear um, you know, from governmental agencies who sometimes, you know, I saw something that the CDC uh, had posted a whole thing about COVID and, you know, what, how, how the virus is transmitted. And then they took it down off their website because <laughs> they changed their minds. Um, yeah. You know, the, it's just, it's just, it's a crazy time. I totally agree, Phil. And it's that whole, you know, that you were surprised that they were speaking about civil liberties, just totally what popped into my head was the fact that no one is talking about health. No, like no one who should be talking about health, who can actually make a meaningful difference with regards to potentially policies or, or um, uh, recommendations, people who, you know, like, um, like news outlets who can't make policies obviously but can actually just increase awareness like all the talk about health is coming from the likes of both of you obviously with regards to your paper that you um published in the frontiers of public health but it's almost like speaking about health if you speak about health then you're in this camp of slight conspiracy theorist. You're not on the team of people, you know, in New Zealand, we're a team of 5 million. And that team of 5 million needs to wash their hands and wear their masks. But don't go mentioning anything about vitamin D, because if you do, then you're just, you need to, you know, check your privilege at the door, basically. It's, it's this whole strange... Um, and you can't hug or kiss. No. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, so I want to jump on your paper, actually. What, and I'm, I'm just going to ask the really basic question of what inspired you to write it? Well, I think it was, I think it was me, Phil, that started it off. I think I was off for a run one time. I think Phil said, you know, Phil's, Phil's got too much time on his hands, obviously, because he's, he, <laughs> he, he, he came to me say, you got any ideas for papers? And I, I'm pretty sure I was on this run. I was like, what's going on with this whole COVID thing right now? Have you seen this coming up? Because if you look at when we wrote that paper, like we, we published that, I think it was like um, end of February, early March, right? Like this is early days. So we were kind early. of on things a little bit early. And I think I saw this, I saw this coming, correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, but I saw this kind of coming on in, in January. And I was like, Phil, what's, what's this all about? And could and I actually I think I asked him the question does this this does this connect to the overfat and Phil's like well 100% absolutely it does and, mm. and they're like we better get on something soon and it was I remember the month of the month of February was just intense because it was back and forth so many times to get this thing out pretty pretty quick so it was, it was really I guess we were inspired to write it because we were like this if there's any a time then we we need to kind of get together as a as a as a public as a you know in the world it, it, to solve this thing like now is the time it's like okay now we can see we can really see the importance of this everyone mm. and so we obviously did that but it kind of it goes back to where you guys were, were talking about before with the fact that no one wants to be on the team that that, that pushes towards fixing our health because everyone's not healthy. 80% of the population is over fat. So who wants to, 
who wants to go and do all the hard work to to do that? Let's you know, let's just wear a mask and and uh, you know, not uh, you know, it's you know, physical distance, etc. So yeah, let's let's wear a mask. Uh, keep six feet away. No hugging. No kissing. But eat a lot more junk food than we were before because. Sure. Well, we can't go to a, a restaurant unless it, unless there's a drive-through. That's the way it is here, or has, was here, um, and and um, the result. And then people are working at home. A lot more people are working at home. And there was something, and I think it was the New York Times that said, you know, people are working at home now, and they're filling their refrigerator with foods that normally would be in a vending machine, and. Um, you know, it's a good point, uh, and and um, we don't have any data on, you know, how much more over fat has the population of the world become as a result of COVID. But I, 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 I almost can guarantee that it's, it's, it's been a, a significant problem. You know, interesting, Phil, and I'll, I'll um, want to get you guys to elaborate on your paper and just describe to the listeners who might not have read it. And of course I'll pop a link on it to the, the show notes for this episode, but just to elaborate on, on what your paper kind of detailed. But what I will tell you is almost every single client that I've seen since our first lockdown have talked about, it's like the freshman 15. They've gained their lockdown five kilos that they um, are now struggling to um, to lose, and it's it is it's that combo of I need to treat myself, I need something to feel better because I can't go out and, and be with my friends, um, and and this is in no way shape or form blaming people because I think we're all human. This is kind of our coping mechanism, right? Can't go out to a restaurant to drink. I need some kind of delineation between work and finishing work during the day and a glass of wine is going to do that, going to signal to me that I'm going, you know, it's the end of the work day because you can't leave to go anywhere because you're working from home. And of course, if you are confined to, you know, 300 square meters or whatever your house is, um, you've got this massive reduction in that, um, like non-exercise activity thermogenesis, just moving during the day. It's just not happening for so many people. Um, but do you want to kind of talk through kind of the premise of the paper and just the types of things that you guys discussed in there? Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll kick off and have a go and fill and then you can come in um, and uh, clean up. <laughs> Basically, uh, Phil and I have, uh, I've been privileged to, to be working with Phil and um, on his overfat papers over the last, I mean, we've done five or six of these. And basically, you know, overfat is, is a, what we believe is a better, much better term, better describes the situation of, of having like just too much body fat on you. Very simply, you're, um, you're at a, a disproportionate amount of body fat that you, then you should have, right? So there can be over fat, there can be normal fat and under fat. You can also have not enough. And fats are really important uh, you know, organ ultimately on the body that we need to have in homeostasis and balance. And, you know, of course, the more common terms are we use are obesity or obese and overweight. But the, these, these terms, um, you know, they're, they're more in, um, ingrained in us, but they're really kind of derived from the scale. And remember that we've got lots of different tissues on our body, right? Like muscle, water, 
um, all the various things. And these, these can really skew what, um, what we can actually get when we step on the scale. And unfortunately, it doesn't really tell a good picture. So when we look at big studies, like we often do, Mickey, we're, we're looking at the um, not good data ultimately, because it's, we're, you know, we, we, we're, you know, so many more studies, like probably 90% of the studies use just this, this, the scale ultimately to classify people according to body mass index, BMI and, and, and whatnot. So we, you know, we believe we, we got to measure what matters and mm. what you should be measuring is the amount of body fat that you have, the percentage of body fat. And, um, you know, there's, there's better tools than others, uh, to determine that amount. But anyways, yeah, we've, um, when you have this, this fat level disproportionate and certainly over fat is the biggest problem. When you have that in a disproportionate amount, it's really curbing so many different issues in the body. And, you know, these range from, it has ties to your cardiovascular disease, stroke, um, you know, obviously diabetes, because this is usually probably one of the underlying causes of it, in, you know, abnormal blood sugar levels, um, cancers, mm. uh, dementia, and, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, sugar and processed food is probably the underlying, underlying thing that's kind of causing that. And we re and then the, the new perfect storm that we're getting to is the fact that the immune system is tightly regulated by having, you know, good levels of, of body fat or mm. uh, it's, it's not working or not functioning well. If you've got abnormal levels, you get a dysfunction of the, of the immune cells that are, you know, directly linked with that fat store. So that's the, that's the premise, I think, of the paper in a nutshell is that, hey, it's like we're saying, hey, team, we're, we're you know, 80% of the population in the world on average is over fat. And now we're now this this new um, novel coronavirus that's coming in, COVID-19 causing and we, we better do something about this in the future if we're going to be able to fight it. So um, it's a bit of a wake up call paper. Did it have an impact? Doesn't seem to have too much, unfortunately. It's, it's just business as usual, unfortunately, as we, as we spoke about. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Like, I, like on the Frontiers website, there are 53,000 people who viewed it. 53,000, um, yeah. There's a bigger and, world than that. But yeah, I know. Yeah, there, there I, know I looked at that. Mean, that's a, that's I mean, the only government, I will say, just this came through today, is Sweden, actually. This, uh, Michael Eads was just tweeting that you know, the, the, they've yeah. attained herd immunity and they're kind of back to normal there. So they're the only ones that kind of did did things right, it almost seems. They took a real gamble, right, to do something different than the rest of the world. Well, you and New Zealand, them in New Zealand, I guess, a little bit. Well, New Zealand to a point, because, yeah. New, you know, New Zealand, yes, because we're small and we are an island yeah. and we can shut our borders. What's yeah. going to happen when we open our borders? But you can't mention Sweden because you might then be shoved in the camp of conspiracy theorist and not, yeah. not a team player, unfortunately. Well, team. <laughs> yeah. Now, I have a question for you on when you begun, and this might be one for you, Phil, um, but of course, Paul, you weigh in as well. Like, 
over fat is such a brilliant way to describe it because you're at, you are describing the problem, you know, absolutely. And I have heard um, another way to describe it is under muscled. So, you know, I think in both, in, and I think in terms of under muscled quite a bit as well, particularly with when I'm chatting to people kind of one-on-one -on -one and I know that, that outside of the food and, and this is not news to you, but um, even us, athletes aren't probably doing a lot of what we need to be doing to preserve muscle and, and bone mass as we age, you know, running, training for a marathon doesn't necessarily do that. Um, so I try in all of my conversations to use the term overfat, but my default has been overweight and obesity for forever, you know, 20 something years. And when I'm um, I'm getting much better when I'm teaching my students and talking to them about excess body fat, has the term been picked up where it matters? You know, like, like I, I see it in literature now. I see the term over fat more so than just the papers that, that you guys um, published and put out there, which is great. But it, I feel like it's something that needs to, I don't know, it's like anything I suppose that is um, relevant in health. It kind of needs to move from the paper into the, into the atmosphere, into the, um, public health kind of scene, if you like, for anyone to actually um, to appreciate it more, because there's a lot of stigma attached with overweight and obesity in those terms, and people don't like them because of the limitations that you mentioned, Paul. Of you know, mm -hmm. well, I'm not overweight because I'm, you know, I've got this muscle. So that's not really, you know, it's a bit of a meaningless term, and more people are appreciating that now. Yeah, um, well, I definitely, I mean, when I was tweeting some of these, these things that, that Phil and I were, were publishing in more of an open forum like that, there was definitely some, uh, I don't know if it's, if the right term is not, it's, it's people that were uh, obviously offended, right? So because mm -hmm. they were, they're in that category and they, so yeah, you can obviously offend people that, that are in that sort of situation. I don't know what, I don't know what the solution is. Like we're mm -hmm. trying to kind of help, right? Like, Many people are, are, are offended still by the term over fat. Mm. Uh, they, they think we're calling them fat, which of mm. course we're not. We're using a scientific word. Um, but that stigma, that, that leftover um, stigma from, uh, from decades uh, of use, um, you know, calling people fat, uh, you know, it's a slang four letter word really mm. um uh is is not what we're doing we're mm -hmm. we're, we're providing a a scientific term that defines a condition a problem of excess body fat that impairs health mm. yeah and I, you know i've used the word over fat for most of my career and i think uh, i've mentioned somewhere along the way that i you know uh first saw the word in a journal in a in a scientific paper somewhere uh it was it was uh used as a, a two-word definition of people that had excess body fat and it was sort of uh in parentheses kind of thing um and i thought that's that's the word or that's a you know put these together and it, it it's the word because it better describes um, what I was starting to see and, you know, back, 
you know, when I first began 40 years ago, you didn't have a lot of overfat people, but you were seeing them. And, um, and some of them were normal weight, according to the charts, and their BMIs were within normal limits. And so, you know, it, it, it wasn't a huge problem, but it kept getting bigger and bigger over the years. And, um, and today, I, I, I'm seeing it more and more um, in, in, uh, in, in manuscripts, in, in published uh, pieces. You know, Paul and I are, are referenced uh, often in, in the literature, and, um, and the word over fat usually comes along with that in their in their descriptions. Some of them, you know, some of the, the, the researchers are still caught up in, uh, well, well, we've got over fat, but what do we do with all this data that we've all been using for decades mm. on obesity, mm. which is available to researchers. And if you want to do research, you, you want to use something that has a lot of, you know, a lot of numbers so that you're, you're you know, just, it's just, it's a weird situation and I think we're in a transition phase where we're finally moving away from some people have never heard some researchers have never heard the term over fat um, and if if they're in this arena doing research uh, shame on them sorry but um, this this information is out there um, mm. and it's quite quite scientific so um, you know, we're, we're seeing the transition and, and whether uh, the media picks up on this uh, or not, and more and more, hopefully they will, um, it, you know, it's got to find its way into the, into the mainstream. Mm. And, it's, and it's not just over fat, right? It's, you know, Paul, you mentioned, you know, 80% of people would fall into this category. And then, of course, you've got 88% of people in North America metabolically unhealthy so it's not just that they have excess body fat they've got you know dyslipidemia so they've got cholesterol that's not working in their favor they've got that elevated blood sugar hyperinsulinemia so high insulin levels and if we bring it back to COVID what I find really interesting is that we talk about COVID being most um, like the severity of the disease uh, we see most often in in the, our older population who have uh, other conditions as well, mm -hmm. um, but like other health conditions, which, which obviously make them a vulnerable population. But then also there are people who are in our age group, so in their kind of 40s and younger um, and slightly older, if we're thinking about all of us. Thanks, But, you know, often what, if you if you make a comment about, well, it's only the sick and the vulnerable, people are like, oh, but this 40-year-old, he got it, and he got it real bad, for example. So it's not just the sick and the vulnerable, but actually at 88% of us who are metabolically unhealthy, I think probably it is still the sick and the vulnerable. It's just we're not thinking about it in the way that a lot of people think about it because of how prevalent um, poor health is in the general kind of population. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I think that eighty-eight percent, Mickey, is is a, a little distorted because when they when they look at these things, they kind of look at the people who are chronically metabolically ill. Yeah. So they don't just have one uh, 
uh, one condition, they have two or more abnormalities. And so um, that's years into metabolic impairment. Mm. Um, and, and so we, we, you know, we, we looked at uh, the number of overfat people in the U.S. and, and it was 91% in, in adults. Wow. Um, and, and hypothetically, that should be the number of people who also have metabolic impairment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah and, and just to your point, Mickey, the only thing I was, was going to, a couple of things I was going to add on that was that, you know, there's chronological age, but then there's, mm -hmm. I don't know, there's health, there's health age, right? And that's really what um, happens, right? When you develop these comorbidities, like we're, we're kind of all going there, right? Like, let's say the, the, ama the amazing life is you're, you're living to 110 kind of thing with absolute mm -hmm. perfect metabolic health, right? But you still, I think a lot of the uh, longevity data will still, still support, you're still developing these, yeah. um, these issues, right? Like at, we're, we're all rusting and oxidizing and, and aging at the end of the day. But if you're living in out of the um, vending machine type uh, fast food lifestyle, well, you're really speeding up your your um, the you know the you're, you're speeding up your way towards that that, that mm. end point, right? Or one of those metabolic um, endpoints, I guess, ultimately. Yeah. And I think back to the just back to the like a really important. Um, piece of data that's that's revealed I, I know you saw it because i saw you retweet it but it was it was nine this is and it's just kind of just gone, gone under the carpet of course right like so the cdc data came comes out 94 percent of those that have sadly passed with coronavirus had 2.6 on average comorbidities reported right so it's like this is it's just so it doesn't get any clearer than this yeah so, like that's that's the problem <laughs> yeah and and with um with to phil's point about how people are offended by the word fat like it's a four-letter word it's almost as if it's almost to the point where if you mention a comorbidity alongside corona and it's to do with um diabetes or cardiovascular disease um, or mention anything around what people might be able to do to help support their immune system, suddenly you're blaming the individual, you know? Mm -hmm. So there are so many different yeah. stones. It's like you're stabbing, them, you're stabbing their ego, right? Like it's, yeah. it's an ego thing and we're all, no one likes to have their ego broken. And it's, it's, uh, even, even, even mentioning the fact that these comorbidities, diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease, um, Alzheimer's, uh, uh, all these almost all of these conditions are preventable conditions. Mm -hmm. Pretty well known that they are preventable, and just saying that can offend people. I know. Uh, it, it's really it's really sad the the level of understanding that the world has about health, and um, um, you know, as if they can't do anything about things. Mm -hmm. mm. And I think because we use the term prevent, people suddenly think, hang on, I should have prevented this myself, rather than kind of when I'm thinking about the word, you know, these are preventable, I'm thinking much more upstream, like, you know, these are, this isn't, yes, it's an individual issue, but it's ups, but the upstream impact of policies in place, of the environments people live, of the 
access to information that people have around diet, even though we now have, you know, globalization and this whole technology thing has allowed us all of this access to information. It's almost too much for some people. So it doesn't, it doesn't clear that, you know, it doesn't clear anything up for them. It almost confounds how you choose, right? How do you choose which, you know, uh, rabbit hole you want to go down, right? Do I go and believe what Mickey and Phil believes or, do I go and believe, you know, someone else? It's yeah. not easy. Yeah, and the and the and the the other component of of prevention is the definition is is pretty clear. However, public health has gone off and come up with their own definition of prevention, which is not what all of us would talk about. They they define prevention as screening for disease. Mm. So, you know, go to your doctor once a year and get screened for disease. Um, you go in and you see your doctor and, you know, you're evaluated and the report is, um, you don't have any disease today, come back next year, we'll see if you have any disease. Well, that's not prevention, that's waiting for disease to occur so that it can be treated yeah. And um, that's just not what it's all about. And that's become the norm. That's how people think about prevention. And that's obviously not what it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's 100% correct. So um, in light of the issue around overfat, and you mentioned, Paul, about the immune-related issues. So, you know, that's going to, if you're, you've got an you've got excess body fat that's going to impair your immune function and everyone is holding out hope for a vaccine. Mm -hmm. Even, yeah. yeah. So what's your understanding of the impact that, you know, have you seen any information around the effectiveness of vaccines with regards to level of body fat or, or anything like that? Well, I think we actually quote one of the studies in uh, the overfat or the the perfect storm paper where mm. we're actually um, it, it it shows that the effectiveness of a vaccine is influenced by your level of overfat or comorbidities, right? So this is the big problem as I mm. I see it is is coming in. So now you've got all these, and I think they're already there's already some hiccups in the, in the vaccines that they're trialing. And this is probably the problem that they're coming up with is that you're giving these vaccines to people with overfat and mm. have overfat and comorbidities. And lo and behold, the same problem is they're not, you know, they're not able to amount a, an effective uh, immune response and, mm. and beef up their, their innate immune system, right? Which is mm. the whole kind of goal of it. So yeah, because their adaptive immune system is just, is, is messed up because they've got mm. these dysregulated, um, uh, you know, fat cells ultimately. Mm. And, and as happens. part of our, our, our reactive society, um, we, we have a pandemic and then we respond by trying to find a vaccine. We have a heart attack and we respond by doing these procedures and taking these drugs. Um, we, we have comorbidities and, you know, we, we get each one of them treated by a specialist rather than say, hey, what is, like you said, Mickey, what are the upstream problems? What are the more primary problems or problem? And if we put all these things together, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, 
um, the high rate of metabolic uh, impairment, the high rate and the rising rate of chronic disease, which is pretty clear, and it's now overtaken in the uh, in the developing world. It's now overtaken starvation and malnutrition uh, and and uh, infectious diseases. Um, you know what is more primary and overfat is if you keep looking higher and higher at what's causing what overfat becomes one of the really high things on that list mm. what 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 overfat does is it trickles down to three primary things one is uh it produces chronic diseases mm -hmm. it it increases physical disability and pain and it increases your risk for chronic infection. And so rather than wait for a chronic infection and trying to figure out if somebody's got a, a vaccine or any of the other examples I gave, let's, let's take a step up and say, hey, if we really want to prevent all these other things, we can address over fat. And there, there's two ways of doing that. People can take it upon themselves to manage their own health and uh, and change it because uh, virtually everyone who's over fat can do something in their lifestyle and significantly reduce their body fat levels. And number two, the politicians and the public health world um, can say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna kick in. Uh, we're gonna help out. We're gonna uh, we're gonna tax junk food and untax fruits and vegetables." We're going to make um, we're going to make it a lot harder for children and and anyone to to buy junk food. In fact, we're going to pay you to be healthy. Mm. And if they paid everyone to be healthy, and and, and you know it was followed up and measured, um, the world would save a lot of money. Mm. Those, we obviously haven't haven't evaluated the whole world in, in that in that scenario but there are studies about paying people to be healthy and they've shown them to be very very effective and not just physiologically but cost effective as well so we give you ten dollars uh to be healthy this month and uh we're gonna save twelve dollars in the process what a deal mm -hmm. You just imagine if you, if they put like a you know just a portion of the billions that they've put into vaccine development into some of these initiatives. Mm. You know what a <laughs> just in terms of effectiveness, like how much it, what a, what a difference it would make. But, I know, and you're right. Like the whole health system is geared towards um, towards treatment, and, and that's and so you're absolutely right. When Phil was talking about prevention before yeah you know it, that's not actually prevention you're right that's the detection isn't it of the of the disease um and that's the problem is that is that when you treat something you've got a very real outcome but when you are when you are quote unquote treating over fat that outcome it's very in the it, it's not a short-term kind of look we've done it tick box thing it's something that is a you know it's a lifetime change for people and you're not going to see the i suppose the um immediate impact of what you're doing in the next month like you'll see those savings 
in maybe three months, six months, 12 months, and people always want to kind of see. Phil, Phil always cracks me with this. That's what I've always thought too, Mickey, but Phil yeah. says that you actually can see changes rather quick. I yeah. feel like, you know, um, you might want to comment there, but yeah. like with the measure, Bob, we're, we're like not talking about, yeah, we're, we're not talking about, hey, how are you feeling today? Mm. Oh, I, th I think I feel better. We're talking about measurable changes. Uh, for example, two, two common ones, which are serious conditions, hypertension and um, uh, high blood fats, high, high um, uh, triglycerides. Mm. Um, uh, high triglycerides are, are easy. You're, you don't put anybody in danger. Uh, if, you, if you make a significant change in a, in a in a person's diet, if they make a significant change in what they're eating, they could uh, reduce um, a, a triglyceride level that's super high uh, down to normal in a week or two. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty Not good. A, I've, I've seen it so many times. Right away. Yeah. And, and in the case of hypertension, when I uh, suggest people go on the two-week test, which is my um, evaluation that people can, uh, self-evaluation that people can use, to um, feel how it feels to eat healthy food only and avoid all junk, um, I, I uh, warn them to monitor their blood pressure or go to their doctor to have their blood pressure monitored carefully because if they're on medication especially and they, and they make a change, their blood pressure can normalize very quickly as well. And if they're on medication and their blood pressure normalizes, now they're hypotensive and that's a serious problem. So the, these changes um, obviously occur very quickly, and there's a lot of other ones that, that do as well. And um, it's amazing to see people make these transformations with not, you know, not not just hypertension if they have it or or high triglycerides, but lots of physical uh, conditions, lots of biochemical problems, uh, lots of mental emotional problems um, that that change rather quickly. Sometimes uh, they may take a little longer than quickly, but they, they change uh, nonetheless. And it's, it's amazing to see. That's, Phil, that's such a, such a good point. It's almost like, and I'm thinking about my own, what I was saying before, and it's, it's almost like this rhetoric, you know, it's like you've always known that prevention takes forever. So that's why you don't go through the route. It's almost like, a bit of a blockage in your brain as to why, why aren't they doing it? Oh, because it takes too long. Okay, so it's a common it's a common excuse. Well, who has time to do that? You yeah. Know, maybe when I retire, I'll, I'll you know I'll go on a diet. Yeah. Now, Phil, you mentioned your two week um, kind of diet experiment, which is not what you called it, but that's the only thing that's coming to my mind right now. <laughs> two week test. You just said it like two minutes ago. Um, and I was actually going to ask both of you, you know, what your, you know, what are some really simple things that people can do to kind of, I guess, take a little bit of control back on their health with their feeling like they're in this space where they need to do something, but they're not sure where to head. Um, and I think that your two week kind of reset is probably one of the best things that people could do. Do you want to talk people through what that looks like for those who haven't come across it, Bill? Sure. It's, it's basically, you know, what I learned early on in practice was that um, people 
you could you can explain things to people you can tell people what they should and should not eat and on and on and on and, and give them a diet which is always a terrible thing to do um but until they experience feeling better you you often don't have their attention mm. and so i came up with this this idea that would quickly change their physiology and put them in a state where they they were clearly healthier and then how they how they felt physically mentally um and then if they had measurable conditions how they changed like i mentioned um you you get their attention and 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 it worked that way um uh and so what they what they do is stop eating junk food um and they 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 write down all their complaints you know what what problems do i have i'm i'm depressed i don't sleep well i'm tired all day i'm hungry all day um I'm craving sugar i'm craving caffeine because i'm so tired i need to stay awake etc etc i have pain and and then they they get rid of the junk food they start eating more high quality fats healthy fats they start eating more protein and any of the carbohydrates they consume are natural carbohydrates um but they even stay low on those just to make sure uh their insulin levels uh uh don't don't jump up and then over a two week period they monitor themselves and after two weeks they they compare how they were what they were complaining about to how they feel today is their pain better are they sleeping better is their energy uh better their hunger gone uh and so forth and they are often um a, a new person um and then after that um they 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 experiment a little bit with natural carbohydrates and and I've picked carbohydrates because they immediately change the body mm. uh so they start adding a carbohydrate every other meal to avoid the second meal effect with regards to insulin and they may have um uh and you know a, a small piece of fruit after lunch and then um see how they feel afterwards um it's the only time i i i recommend if people want to to get on the scale um if they lose weight much of it is body fat mm. as um studies have shown but but um i i i just do that because any little bit of encouragement is going to be helpful and when they see that um they're they're pretty excited and they often say well you know i I I need to buy new pants after 2 weeks because I I've lost, you know, 20 pounds. Mm. Um which mm -hmm. is not common but it it happens a lot. I I've, I've seen people lose um 25, 30, 35 pounds after 2 weeks. Someone who has um a, a big metabolic problem. Um and then this this gives the 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 individual uh a sense, a much better sense of how food influences them and um and influences many many signs and symptoms um and i have something called the two week ketogenic test which i pretty much recommend now for anyone who is over fat 
because they can kind of skip over the uh, the the process where they you know experiment and then they slowly add foods back and because um, if they're already over fat they're they're very insulin resistant they're carbohydrate intolerant so they they don't tolerate very many carbohydrates mm. and it's a good it's a good way to kind of um, speed up that whole that whole process and then what happens often is they become more intuitive more sensitive more their instincts kick in and they'll they'll be eating um a, a small piece of fruit and they'll just say oh I, this doesn't feel right anymore mm. and they'll be able to make adjustments fine-tune their diet and um uh live happily ever after so to speak mm. <laughs> which quite often that's what happens uh the problem is the big problem is in in some people is they're addicted to sugar and they get all excited after two weeks because they're feeling like a new person another two weeks go by three four weeks they've lost now a lot of weight they've got to buy all new clothes uh you know they're off medication or they're they're cut way down on medication whatever and they are at a um a get together and there's this big chocolate cake and they can't help themselves and you know it just starts that whole vicious cycle of them waking up the next day oh i'm gonna just have a little piece of this muffin and suddenly it's all gone and they are back to where they were in in a short period of time mm. Um, and I guess suppose it's the, it's if they are in tune with their, with how food makes them feel, or at least this is what I see with clients. But they've also got that social support around them as well to help with their kind of diet behaviour change. And hopefully, when they do dive into that chocolate cake, they wake up the next morning and they have this massive hangover from the sugar and the fat combo that makes them go, you know what, that actually made me feel pretty rubbish. But you're right, Phil, because what they are, what they're fighting now is that um, whole dopamine response from sugar that they got. So they're like, I feel bad, but I want more. So it's ideally in and around what they're doing with their diet. They've got some other structures in place to help them habitualize. You're, you're and, right. And yeah, break it's years a, of dietary patterns. It, it's not just something you, you, you know, it's not like flipping a switch. Um, mm. I, I wish it was. Um, oh, and, but there are people who are able to do the two week test or, or make the changes that need to be made and they're fine. Uh, and they, they, it's, it's hard sometimes, um, but, but they're, they're okay. And they sometimes mess up, but they're okay. Uh, yet they still have this sugar addiction. They still are unable to walk past the bakery without looking and drooling at those things in the window. Mm. That takes a long, long time. I, I think yeah. in me, it, it took years before um, I was able to, for example, eat a piece of cacao without spitting it out because it's so bitter uh, to people who are sugar addicted because the taste buds in their tongue are, are turned on for, for sweet. And um, those, uh, those cacao things are pretty uh, the other end of the scale. And, uh, and when, when, you become, when your sugar addiction leaves, your taste buds change 
and you just munch on cacao whenever you feel like having a snack. Yeah. Do you know, I had had to chuck out my first block of 85% lint and it came direct from like Switzerland as well. I'm like, what is this? I can't eat this. It's so bitter. And, and now I'm like, oh, this is sweet. You see, you're so right on that. Um, Phil, can I just get you, before I'm just going to shift to you, Paul, but Phil, can you describe or explain that second meal effect of insulin? Because I don't know that people will be that familiar with how insulin, what that actually is. Sure. The, um, the, the body responds uh, to a meal, uh, and one of the responses is, is releasing insulin. Uh, the body responds uh, with insulin release based on your, your, the meal you're eating right now plus the previous meal. And, I, and I've had a lot of people uh, become aware of this because they say, you know, I, I decided to, to do what you said and I, um, I, I just said, okay, I'm going to start eating and they would, you know, they'd have a really healthy dinner or a really healthy lunch and they'd feel exhausted. And, you know, they'd call me up and they'd say, hey, you said I was going to feel better. I had this meal. I fell asleep at my desk. Um, you know, what's going on? Well, what'd you have for breakfast? Well, I had my usual pancakes. Mm. Um, and, and so that's, that's the second meal effect. And it's a, a very uh, real thing. It's, a, it's sometimes uh, quite powerful in, in some people, less so in others. Um, and uh, there's another component to this, which is... Uh, you know, if we consume excess protein, um, we can convert certain glucogenic amino acids to glucose. Mm. And um, that's very high amounts of protein, but it, it can happen. And when people reduce the carbohydrates in their diet, they, because they're trained to not eat fat, to think fat's bad, so they don't eat much fat and what's left is protein, they end up sometimes eating way too much protein. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that problem can, can occur. Mm, that's so interesting, isn't it? Um, Paul, anything that you would add to that? No, the only thing I would add is, um, it's really more, more of the Phil, Phil Nafton show, but <laughs> is, um, Phil, like this is, uh, maybe I'm speaking to the, um, uh, I don't know, the more, maybe the, someone who wants a, even a little bit more information. And I'm so uh, grateful to have Phil write chapter seven in Hit Science for, for Martin and I. And so you can go to hitscience.com and specifically search up the athlete health and hit course. Yeah. And Phil teaches that. Um, so you can actually get the whole course uh, from Phil's whole course we, during the coronavirus um, perfect storm. We're actually uh, making it free to everyone. So you just um, check out for, if you want to actually take Phil's course there. And the the checkout coupon code is Health for All. Health and for and yeah, and it, it kind of goes into even more detail just on you know all the the micros, the macros, issues with stress, and uh, if yeah, just if you want um, even more information to arm yourself, like knowledge is power, right? So the more information you can kind of get about how to make yourself healthy, the more you can equip yourself to, I don't know, just really have a, a healthier life. And, and uh, of course, as, as, we're, as we're saying, is uh, defend yourself against the coronavirus. 
Yeah, 100%. And what I'll do is, is if you flip me that code and a, and a web address, Paul, I'll be able to pop that in the show notes. Um, and finally, I'll just, I got a question from, from um, one of the, some, from someone when I put a shout out and they asked about your advice, because of course, you, you guys both sit in two camps, a little bit like me, I suppose. So athlete health and athlete performance but of course we recognize that an athlete cannot perform if they're not healthy um, but of course we're really interested in population health as well which we've been focused on for the last 40 or so minutes but with regards to the athlete um, what's your advice for athletes with regards to training means no racing like how are you how are you working with your athletes right now, and there may or may not be races on the horizon for them, but what are some of the issues you're coming up with um, for both of you? And, uh, and, you know, how are you supporting them and what are you suggesting? Well, with the, with the overfat pandemic, what we are seeing, unfortunately, is a lot of athletes who are also overfat. Mm. And that happens to correlate with their needs as an athlete, especially for endurance athletes. One of their needs is to generate more energy so their muscles can perform better. And the best way to do that is to provide fat as an energy source. So um, fat oxidation um, is, a, is a powerful uh, uh, source of energy for athletes. And there are two things that influence it in, in significant ways. One is uh, the diet, as we've been talking about. Um, and the other is to reduce training intensity because lower intensity levels uh, in training increase the use of fats for energy and higher intensity levels reduce the use of fats for energy. Awesome. And you're, um, that's, it's actually like the perfect time to do it if there are no races on the horizon, isn't it? You know, like if, if it is, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is, uh, although it, even, even uh, without COVID and, uh, and, and having the races come back, um, athletes need to, to, to plan ahead. Um, they need to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my aerobic system and, and burn a lot of fat so that when I do go in a race, yeah. I'll be more prepared uh, from an energy standpoint. My anaerobic fibers, my power fibers will be better supported because I'll have a better aerobic system. Um, and so I'll, I'll have this three, four, five, six month period of so-called base building, uh, which comes from Arthur Lydiard, of course. And, and then I'm gonna start my, my anaerobic, my higher intensity training and racing, which will go through a certain amount of time. And then uh, I'll eventually return to a so-called off season and, and rebuild my base or build more aerobic base um, after that. Nice. Yeah. And I, I would just add on there that, so that's, uh, you know, definitely my philosophy as well, that, um, you know, the, the base is, is what we need to build um, first and foremost, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm certainly supplementing my athletes with a, um, a small dose, a small weekly dose of, of HIIT training as well. And again, mm. the, the rationale behind that is to stimulate your larger fast switch motor, fi uh, motor fibers, and you can actually turn those and make those more oxidative. 
um, better fat burners. You actually you kind of transition those from type, uh, you know, your type two uh, A fibers into more, even more, uh, you know, sort of a slow twitch uh, phenotype. And nice. then you know, also the, uh, the ventricular, the cardiac output that you, you get as well is quite substantial. So you can kind of, you know, continue to increase your VO2 max. And even, uh, often some of the guys that I'm coaching, they've hit, uh, you know, absolute uh, personal bests in, wow. uh, in, the, in the laboratory. So it's, it's yeah. been, all the, that's been our target. Um, we've been working on Strava segments, um, virtual races, um, but a lot, um, really from a lot of the, 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 um, the high end guys that I work with guys and gals, it's a lot of emotional support because yeah. they're they're really they're doing it tough right now because there's just yeah. not, there's not that race to kind of go for so yeah, yeah. but um they're you know, the majority of them are still ticking over and it's it's still healthy for them i believe to get that daily dose of training as long as the stress level isn't controlled but the you know the training i think it it controls the stress as well they, they're yeah. happier once they've done it yeah totally and i feel i feel the same in that you know, you are kind of, we, we are drawn to something like endurance sport in part because we recognize that it's such a good stress relief. But of course, mm -hmm. sometimes we are our own worst enemies and we may, you know, go too hard or do too much because, because of that. So it's finding that really nice balance, I think, of, of making sure you're continuing to do your training, um, but not overdoing it, which I think probably a lot of us did maybe I'm just speaking for myself, um, during the first lockdown where it was like, right, four weeks, boom, <laughs> you know, I'm out there, I'm going to do some kind of PR with regards to the amount of training I can do. Um, mm. Let's not think about the quality of it, but um, yeah, getting a balance is key. It must, yeah, it needs to be keep, uh, continue to be balanced. And this is really why I got Phil to write the chapter, because it's, you really need to, in order to optimize the, the, I guess, the performance capacity of the individual is you really have to, you have to be doing the other things, I believe, outside of just the training in yeah. order to like absorb and, and adapt the, yeah. the stimulus that you're giving yourself with the training. And if you're not doing that, uh, well, I mean, it just leads to that whole overtraining syndrome thing that we know. So it's just really, again, for the athletes out there, so important to get the, um, the stuff away from training right um, to really get the most out of yourself. Totally. And I feel that's really where a coach is super important for people because you've got the athletes who might do too much, but yet you've got the other athletes who are motivated just to race. And so therefore without the racing, they're demotivated in their training as well. But if you've got, you know, a, a group supporter, a coach that's encouraging you to hit Strava segments, to get on mm -hmm. Zwift and do those races and, and things like that, that's, yeah. you know, another another yeah, way you've to... got so much data these days you I mean it's very easy to quantify sort of where you're at with things mm. um, you know from your from your math math level your math performance level um, yeah. check out phil's website on all that yeah. to um you know it's more of these your, your ftp and and uh you know 5k performance time or whatever oh, nice. so these are yeah they're all there for us to chase and and get better at so yeah, right. Stay motivated, team. We'll, we'll be back racing one day. That's exactly yeah. I just hope. Um, so finally, um, Phil, what kind of training are you up to these days? Um, I, you know the weather's changing, um, and it's it's a little it's a little chilly um, 
you know, it's been freezing, uh, below freezing in the morning the last few days. And um, uh, so, uh, you know, I've reduced, uh, I've kind of gotten rid of the, 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 the mountain bike and pretty much uh, staying with uh, hiking. I'm among, you know, all these great mountain trails um, and uh, lesser amounts of running. And uh, I do strength training uh, as well. And so I, I, keep, I keep myself busy with, with those things. Nice. And Paul, where are you at? I would say the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> All those things. Uh, Revelstoke is a, uh, really sort of famous for, for mountain biking and, and skiing as well. So as we transition more to winter, the, you know, there's epic skiing here, backcountry, downhill, cross-country. So I'll just kind of change into a winter athlete. But for now, it's just running, running, hiking, and mountain biking. The, the, pool, the, the lake that I live beside is just a little bit too cold at the moment. So uh, it's kind of cooling down. So that the swimming has kind of gone, gone off a bit. That's me. That's nice. And uh, actually, when we finish up here in a minute or so, I'm just off for a run. Um, there's, we've got Topor Ultra Marathon coming up in, uh, in about three weeks. And I was, so I did this thing where I, I got into the 50K and then desperately wanted to do 74 until about a week ago. So I've just switched back to the 50. Because <laughs> I realized... You know, 74, it's just a little, like, I don't need to be out there for that long. I'd rather just kind of, you know, uh, kind of tick off 50 and, and be done with it. So, um, which yeah, is actually... When in doubt, do less. Your brain is saying, hey, maybe 50 is better. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's it. And I feel like I will run 50 stronger than, yep. than I will, you know, just kind of ruin myself. Well, no, I won't ruin myself. But I always kind of think ahead, like, the recovery from, I'm going to be out there for probably another third of the time or even actually longer um the recovery is going to be so much more i'm not actually going to enjoy it so i but i need to remind myself that before i get over enthusiastic at the start of the That's process such a such an important thing is, is that this is supposed to be fun yeah and if it's not fun uh find something else that you you have fun with um and and um you know, m move along, try things you've never tried, do uh, whatever it takes to, to enjoy. Uh, and, and I'm not just talking about sports, but everything else in life, you know, mm. find your passion um, and, um, and go for it. Totally. And even more so right now where we are, you know, where for some people, they've got a lot more time on their hands because they're unable to do the things that they might normally do. It's a good time to explore new opportunities because they're, they're, they're still there. They just, they'll be different to what uh, you might be used to. Hey, um, Phil and Paul, thank you so much for your time today. And I will pop in the show notes, of course, um, where people can find you. Hit science for Paul and, and uh, philmethatone.com for Phil. Um, those links to your articles, because regardless of whether or not people are used to reading um, uh academic literature like the way that they're written are just so accessible for people so yeah i think that's you know we we we've done that i, I and i've always liked to do that i learned that because when i used to lecture um for for courses that doctors would attend i found that you know i need to back off a little bit here um and and do you know do plain speak um 
um, more so, and, and they actually appreciate it. And, and I think the writing of our articles are, are, um, are uh, you know, it's written in ways the average person can get a lot out of it. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, and of course, a link to the hit science course that Phil contributed to. That sounds like such an amazing resource. And to give it for free, that's super generous. And I think um, people will really um, appreciate that. Um, as I appreciate your time and your expertise. And I love it when I see new papers come out from you guys, because I will always learn something, which, which I love doing. So thanks, team. And congrats on the new podcast too, Mickey. Um, I look forward to being a regular listener. Thank you, Paul. Well, I hope you also look forward to being a almost semi-regular contributor. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Mickey. Thanks. Thanks, team. So, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with uh, Phil and Paul as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. And those resources that we mentioned in the interview, including the course that Phil wrote for Paul's Hip Science uh, course, and also the um, Phil's 14-day um, carb test, will all be linked on the show notes. So absolutely check them out. They're such valuable resources and are so suitable for anyone who is either new in the space of kind of looking at your health and looking at how you might change your diet. Uh, or anyone that's just really interested in this space. So next week, team, I um, have a conversation with my mates, Cliff and Bella, answering your questions on nutrition, health, and um, lifestyle related. And I'm really looking forward to bringing that to you, which is the first of many, actually, with Cliff and, of course, Bella. And until that time... Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe on your podcast um, platform that you listen to it from and leave a five-star review. That would be amazing because that would then allow other people to uh, see the podcast and, and enjoy it as well and absolutely pass it on to anyone you feel may, may enjoy listening to it. Until that time though, you can find me on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mickey Willardin. You can head over on my website to mickeywillardin.com where you can find all the information about my online meal plans such as my longevity diet, my athlete plan, where you get to become part of the real food community. We have weekly Q&A forums. I do a weekly email that goes out and you get meal plan, shopping list and 24-7 access to individualize that for yourself and I also do consultations so until that time um, have a great week thanks for listening see you later